Happy Labor Day, guys. Okay, thank you for wishing me a happy Labor Day as well. It is Labor Day, is that right? Okay. It's like, am I wrong? Am I wrong on that? Is it not Labor Day? Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Before we get into finishing off this series, I want to tell you a little bit about the next four weeks here uh, so that you know sort of who to invite when. There's kind of never a bad time to invite someone, but there are best times to invite certain types of people that you might know in your life. So next Sunday will be like a little standalone in-between series because we've been in the Gospels essentially for two and a half years, so we probably won't be back to the Gospels for a while, but I want to teach one passage, like my, basically my favorite passage from the Gospels before we deviate for a while. So next week is a great week to bring someone uh, in your life who has been very churched but minorly gospeled, who has been over-churched but under-gospeled. That's, that's who we're looking for for ne- next week. And then the following three weeks, we're going to do a, a brief series on Esther. And we're going to do, try to do all, I think it's 10 chapters of Esther, the whole story, in three weeks. And that's a great uh, series because it's short and because of the nature of the content to bring people in your life who do not know Jesus at all. And we will make sure that they hear about him. Uh, so have that in mind for the next four weeks. Okay. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, thank you for being here. Welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, We're in the last week of a series that we have been in uh, called The Church That Changes the World, and we have been asking ourselves questions based on what we see in the first two chapters of Acts, which depicts the very beginning of the Christian church. Right after Jesus' ascension, the gathered followers of Jesus begin to live and function as the church They change the world. We've been watching what that looks like. And as we finish the series today, we're going to be looking at perhaps the most practical portion of the first two chapters of Acts, the story of the start of the church. Before we get into that text, we're going to start off with a serious question today. Why are we here as a church? Why are we here? I've been in church ministry since I was 19 years old somehow. The first church I really served in started with 30 people. The last church I served in was 11,000 people. (laughs) But in both churches, we felt like we were involved in the most significant, most beautiful work in the world. The first church that I was a part of leading uh, met in a meeting room in a Boy Scouts headquarters. We made our own stage out of plywood and like the borrowed legs of folding tables. Our kids met in the stairwell. Our kids, however many there were. Kids ministered in the stairwell. My wife hand perforated bulletins as a 20-year-old church secretary. We baptized people in pools in the backyards of the people in the church. Man, we baptized a lot of people. We saw a lot of people come to Jesus. And so many people got saved. People who met Jesus there and were discipled in Jesus there are doing huge ministry all over the country now. The last church I served at, in contrast, was massive. It owns millions and millions of dollars worth of property. The kids' ministry 
has over a hundred thousand square feet. He baptized at this church in this gorgeous tiered fountain that was built into the patio outside of our largest worship space. But man, we baptized a lot of people in the name of Jesus. So many people got saved. Those people are spreading the gospel literally all over the world. And I just want us to remember as we wrap up in series where we started this series, Jesus said to the church, go into all the world and make disciples in the name of Jesus. The church is God's plan for reaching all communities on earth with the good news that Jesus loves and saves, right? Like we, we are his plan. The church is his plan, whether it's in whether it's happening in stairwells or in multi-million dollar facilities or, or in a converted farmhouse on Brinkley Road. That is the mission of the church, changing the world, helping people see the glory of Jesus and experience his goodness through his death and resurrection. Like that is what we're about. That's why we're here. Blackman, Tennessee, the whole world needs to be rescued by Jesus and become like Jesus. It is legitimately the most gargantuan mission on earth. At the same time, we're also here because discipleship and the mission of the church is for each single person in God's church, in God's family. The church is the hope of the world and the church is the hope of the individual in the church. I haven't been here long enough yet to know for sure, but I wonder if there's a single mom in this church who wouldn't make it without the care of the people in this church. I'm sure there's a family right now who has suffered in such a deep way that they wouldn't be able to make it without their brothers and sisters in Christ bearing their burdens, right? I know, I'm very sure there's at least one 41-year-old career-oriented, middle-aged white guy in our church who can't know the joy of Jesus without belonging to the life of the church that Jesus invites everyone into when he makes them his child. It's me, by the way. So the church is how we give the gospel to the world and how we live the gospel in front of one another. So it's the discipleship mission of the church is infinitely significant for the entire world and for each individual person sitting in one of these gray chairs. So I want to read the last portion of Acts 2 to see two things that the original discipleship ministry that we're going to see in Acts 2 did that we can pursue together in order to be the church for the world and the church for one another, okay? Let's read verses 42 through 47, very famous verses together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to get in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So there's two questions for us to ask today as we try to understand how the Lord worked in the original. Are we devoted to discipleship? 
We obviously see this in the very first verse that we read. Read verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And remember that when you read that again, this is the most important mission in the world is being encapsulated in these few verses. The word being continually united in prayer, being devoted to prayer, that's the same word here. So devotion is not a passive thing. Devotion is not static. The word devoted means, as we've already learned, to be constant to be steadfastly attentive unto, and to give unremitting care to a thing. Remember that. Constant, steadfast, unremitting. The discipleship that we want to see in our small but growing congregation is not a static thing. It's not a once-in-a-year thing. It's not a once-in-a-decade thing. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's unremitting. It is devoted. It is rhythmic. In my job in Bible study publishing... I teach a ton of churches about discipleship every month. And I always ask them, when was the last time your church started a new discipleship group? And when was the last time before that? Would you say that it is constant and unremitting? And our church just so happens to have started a new group this week, today. So, and we're running out of space for discipleship here. So let's make this a personal question. I'm going to give you quite a few sort of diagnostic questions for your heart as a follower of Jesus today. Is discipleship a rhythmic, unremitting, devoted pursuit in your life right now? You could sense a continued, real devotion to following Jesus with a group of believers. Or is that a thing that you used to be a part of? Or is it a thing that you don't understand? Maybe you don't understand what it is. What was it that they were devoted to? In verse 42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, or that's another way of saying they were were devoted to studying God's word. And think about this before we walk through just a few things that they were devoted to together in the most important mission in the world, for the world and for each individual. These were the people, we just talked about this in in the class that I was a part of at 9 o'clock. These were the people that walked with Jesus. They They didn't hear about this stuff 2,000 years later. They watched it. They heard it. They followed him. They hung out with Jesus on earth. They knew that Jesus had said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They were devoted to God's word as their authority because the Jesus who they just seen come back from the dead told them to be. Are you, are we devoted to knowing God's word? Also, verse 42, they were devoted to fellowship. They remembered what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am am among them. Also in verse 32, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Most commentators believe that this is referring to the Lord's Supper or to communion. They remembered Jesus saying from 1 Corinthians 11, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Also, in, we're still in verse 42. Also in verse 42, they were devoted to prayer. We've spent a whole week on this. They were continually united together in prayer, rushing along toward dependence on Jesus while remembering what he said in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, Right? I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the original church, just a 
the smallest encapsulation, was devoted to God's word, to fellowship with one another, to breaking bread together, to praying in one accord. Uh, praying in one accord. They give unremitting care to the things that Jesus had told them to do. And this, this rhythmic corporate pursuit of, of, of devotion to discipleship has a compounding effect. And by that I mean it gets better the more and more that you do it. This passage is meant to describe the life of the early church for years. This is covering years, not days. This, this wasn't something they just tried and it got recorded. This is how they lived. This is how they lived. Devoted and together following Jesus in powerful and repeatable ways. And we need to recognize that so many things in life get weaker or get worse the longer they go on. I love mega stuffed Oreos. So much. I mean, so much. I actually prefer most stuffed Oreos, but that was like a temporary. Did anybody get to have most stuff? They would barely hold together. There was so much cream in between the cookies. Anyway, so I settled for mega stuff. This is my favorite cookie. But in spite of their deliciousness, they have diminishing returns. I probably am not the only one in this room that knows this, but by like cookie 12 or 13 in a single sitting, they start to not taste as good. They lose some of their potency when you're on your second dozen in the same sitting of a mega stuffed Oreo. Other things become more special, more powerful as they recur. I thought about Christmas mornings with my family. They don't get less special every year. They get more special as the memories and the love and the years together stack up. Don't you see? Like, I'm not devoted to binge eating Oreos. Sure I do it. I'm devoted to being with my family on Christmas morning. I'm going to be there. How could I miss it? It's special, it's powerful, it's beautiful. And the same thing is true about a church that is devoted to discipleship together. It compounds, it's exponential. I mean, just look at the benefits that they experienced. We saw what they were devoted to. Look at the benefits if you just walk through the verses. Verse 43 says, and they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. Please, Lord. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, they had glad and sincere hearts. Don't we want it? Verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a ministry that's crushing it. Like I've been in the game for a long time now, 21 years or something. I've never met anybody that looks at that list of blessings and goes, man, I don't want that. I don't need that. Those outcomes are miraculous. Do you think the Acts 2 church got tired of awe and wonders and togetherness and gladness and seeing people meet Jesus and have their lives be changed? Of course not. We won't either. We don't get tired. Some of you have walked with God longer than me. You don't get tired of seeing the glory of God and seeing Jesus make things new. In fact, you only find more and more joy in it. So that takes us to the second question that I want to ask. 
So it's, are we devoted to discipleship? And that was all the easy part. So this next point convicted me a lot. So I'm just putting that out there before it also convicts you a lot. Are we devoted to discipleship? The second question goes hand in hand with that. Are we doing discipleship? This should be implied in devotion, right? Like when I wrestled with those two questions, I was like, are they the same thing? They are not the same thing. Because this is something that is so often lacking in our churches. Because sometimes we think discipleship is only about what we think, not about what we do with what we think. Discipleship isn't just about what we know. It's about how we live what we know. Help us, Lord. I want you to, I'm going to actually, I rarely do this. I'm going to read you the passage a second time. And I want you to ask of your heart, am I doing discipleship? Am I experiencing the church? Because here's what they wrote that they did as they changed the world and experienced glad and sincere hearts and on and on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen and hear it and feel it and want it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to people who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That is not a paragraph about believing. That is a paragraph about doing because of believing. So can we admit, sometimes, I can, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. The, the word of the Lord does this sometimes. It did it to me yesterday. We're just going to get, we're going to do this together. Sometimes our discipleship is largely educational when the discipleship that we see in Acts is experiential. So here's a quick quiz. More questions for you just to process your heart. Listen, the kindness of the Lord leads us to walking with Jesus in repentance. Is your relationship with Jesus generally more educational or experiential? Are you talking about prayer? Or are you praying with other followers of Jesus? Have you learned about miracles? Or have you sought God for miracles? Are you gaining knowledge about bearing one another's burdens? Or are you bearing the burdens of others and giving your burdens to others to be born? Bared. (laughs) Are you talking about serving those around you some vague time in the future? Or are you serving people in the name of Jesus? That's Jesus' plan for us. That's it. That's his purpose for us. And his purpose isn't just, this is worth it. Because remember the benefits. They were devoted to God's word and to prayer and to serving and to fellowship and to worshiping. And they had awe and wonders and gladness and supernatural impact. We want that. God wants that for us. But it doesn't simply happen by studying passages of other people experiencing it. Because yes, we see learning in Acts 2 for sure. And I hope we're here every week to learn more about God's word. They heard the apostles' teaching. Most churches are crushing that one. 
But we often fall off pretty quickly after that. Verse 42, they were fellowshipping. Some of us get to that point. Maybe we get to effective interceding prayer together. But that's all just verse 42. 43 through 47 of Acts 2 are theoretical for many followers of Jesus. Verse 43, filled with awe. Signs and wonders, do we have that? Verse 44, everything in common, that might be a more miraculous occurrence than actual signs and wonders. Verse 45, they sold property and gave to those who who are in need. How many of us can't even get ourselves to volunteer for the security or the child care teams? Verse 46 to 47, meeting daily in each other's homes with glad hearts, praising God, favor with all the people, adding to their number daily those who are being saved. My goodness, my goodness, please, Lord. And it's possible that as you sort of encounter this passage, your heart hurts a little bit. But we don't need to read this passage and feel heartbroken. We need to feel hopeful because God can do that. God does that right now. God is doing that in many ways in our body. He wants to do that more in our church. He wants to do that in your life. This is for the corporate. This is for the individual. He wants to do this in your life. We often just read about, instead of experiencing what church, they did. They studied, and then they did. They prepared, and then they prayed. They understood, then they served. They learned, then they lived. So much experiential discipleship in Acts 2. So let me give you, I think, the last diagnostic question. I'm not even close to done with the sermon. Last diagnostic question. I just want to set your expectations. How does your time with God's word end? How does it end? Think about that for a moment right now. What happens at the end of your personal quiet time or at the end of your Sunday school class? Or at the end of a sermon. Sometimes, if we're honest, it ends with no action at all. We listen, we learn, we leave. I don't want that to happen in our church. A better ending is when you ask yourself, what am I going to do to experience this? What can I do to actually live what I just learned? An even better ending to a time in God's word is, what are we going to do to apply this? What are we together going to do to experience this aspect of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Now, I won't do that every Sunday explicitly here from this spot, but you can in your heart, you can in your group, you can in your home. I've been trying in this series to be prescriptive because I knew this was coming. I've been saying here is what we are going to do to apply this. So the early church was devoted to the rhythms of following Jesus. They did them together. They experienced what Jesus himself would have called abundant life. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, my favorite passage in the Gospels. Awe at the grace and power of Jesus. Togetherness in the Gospel. Friendship and service and communion under a shared Savior. It's so beautiful. Let's not just be disciples that listen, but disciples that do. I want to get my money's worth from my illustration today. Mega stuffed Oreos are made with sugar. 
unbleached, enriched flour. Riboflavin. Riboflavin. Hmm. <laughs> Let's understand that word riboflavin. Riboflavin is a yellow vitamin of the B complex that is essential for metabolic energy production. It is present in many foods, especially milk, liver, eggs, and green vegetables. And it is also, listen to this, it is also synthesized by the intestinal flora. I did not know that. Also in Mega Stuffed Oreos, we'll continue. You'll find palm oil and dextrose. Don't miss the meaning of dextrose. Dextrose is a type of sugar that usually comes from corn or wheat. It is almost identical to glucose. For that reason, it can be quickly used as a source of energy for the human body. It's important that we understand how Oreos are made, but we should also try to understand how they are intended to be consumed. Scholars say that there are several ways to interpret the purposes of Oreos. I studied this week. They can be dunked into a class of milk with either your fingers or with a fork. Apparently, some people do it with a fork. Some just take a bite, plain and simple. Or I'm going to read from a, 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 one of our commentarians. Oreos USA's marketing director, Marion Sinan, says this, and I quote, here's the answer. The twist, lick, and dunk method is the Oreo team's tried and true approach. Twisting the cookie halves apart, trying a layer of cream, and then dunking the Oreo into some milk is what the brand itself swears by. Hey, these are important questions. <laughs> what are Oreos made of? What do the experts say we should do to consume the Oreos? Wonderful topics to consider but what good does any of that do if you never experience an Oreo? I practiced this part. It's the best cookie in the world. I don't know anything about dextrose. Well, I do now. That's delicious. And I don't want to cry while I eat an Oreo right now. <laughs> but let's, <clears throat> I'm going to cry over mega stuffed Oreos. <clears throat> let's not be disciples who study the ingredients. Let's not just be a church that learns and remembers Great things. Let's be a church that tastes and sees that Jesus is good. Jesus didn't come to this earth and live and die and raise so that we could only study the life that he longs for us to have. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to have it. He wants us to be together, devoted, praying, loving, serving, worshiping with gladness and awe for the sake of our joy and for his glory in the world. One more thing. So that is the end of the first two chapters of Acts. I should have only eaten half a cookie. But the diminishing returns don't come for much later than half a cookie. So that's the end of the first two chapters of Acts. They obviously went on to change the world. They're still changing the world today. There was so much they did, right? So much for us to do. Like, we have to acknowledge, that's really what we've been wrestling with. What are we to do? There's stuff to do. They trusted their ascended Savior, week one. 
They were continually united together in prayer, week two. They accomplished supernatural works by the power of the Holy Spirit, week three. They believed and shared the beautiful, original gospel, week four. And they devoted themselves to living out the rhythms of following Jesus, studying, praying, loving, serving, worshiping. Are we going to do those things? Are we going to do those things? Man, I hope so. But what I know is that we won't make it very long if we think all that doing is up to us. I won't speak for you, although I could from God's word. I can't maintain my devotion for long if I'm the impetus for my devotion. We can only gather so often if our efforts are the focus of our unity. And on and on it goes. There is so much for us to do, but all of it is in response to what Jesus does. Jesus is the ascended Savior. Jesus is the one who hears and answers prayers, right? Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one in whom the original gospel has its power. Jesus is the one that we worship together and serve together. It's his grace that we share with one another. If we're to do what the first church did, we must do it knowing that Jesus is the one who did and is doing and will do. And we get a perfect reminder of that in the last verse of Acts chapter 2. Look at it again. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Every day, who added to their number those who are being saved? Believe in this church. This is the good part. If you are feeling conviction, this is where it gets sweet. Rest in this church. Every day they prayed, but it was the Lord who added. Every day they fellowshiped, but it was the Lord who worked. Every day they worshiped, but it was Jesus who saved. We move as the church together, knowing that our moving is his moving. Our loving is his Loving, our working is his working. Our grace is only our grace because it's his grace that he's given us. It was 1990, and I was in the third grade, and I had just won best in show at an elementary hat competition <laughs> for Spirit Week. And I walked across the stage, this is a big elementary school, I walked across the stage in front of hundreds of kids to receive first place, and as I got off the stage, a teacher asked me privately, thankfully, how much my mom had helped with was a straw hat with an entire cooked breakfast attached to it. Somehow, I don't know. How would I know how? Eggs, bacon, toast, fruit, somehow both attractively and sturdily attached to this straw hat. As a third grader, it was in that moment all I had done was tell my mom that it was hat day, and she did all the work. She cooked the breakfast. <laughs> she built the hat. She placed this complex breakfast cap in my hands, and all I did was put it on my head, walk across the stage, and claim first prize. That day, the mom added to the son the first place ribbons that were being collected. And every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Our moving 
is his moving. Can you move? Man, that makes it easier to move. Our working is his working. Our loving is his loving. Our grace is his grace. Our doing is his doing and done. So in light of that, what are we going to do to apply this? What are we going to do to experience what you could really call the core aspect of being the kingdom of God together? If you're not in a class at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, I encourage you to start gathering with a group here. You don't have to sign up. You just show up. We started a new one today. There is now more space. If you are in a group, I encourage you to start talking more each week about how we can experience what we're studying. Talk about what the Oreos mean and then talk about how you plan to eat them. Maybe take that a step further outside of the group. Ask someone after the service, how can I be praying for you this week? And check on them this week. I'm not going to tell you. JJ and I will be here after the service to pray for anything you want us to pray for. If you want to come to Jesus, if you have a need in your life, we'll be here. But during this song, I want you to stay where you are because this call is for everybody. This call is for everybody. Ask the Lord, how do you want to lead me to experience the life of a disciple of Jesus? How do you want me to next experience sharing your love your goodness, your grace, experiencing what it means to be a part of the church. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you to continue in a spirit of prayer as we lead up to singing and even as we sing. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would, God, I pray that you would speak powerfully and clearly as we know that you can into our prayerfully quieted hearts right now. We need you, Lord. We have, I confess, I know so much more about you and your word than I do for you in lighter. God, would you give us an obedient, abundant life of living as your disciple in the ways that you have led us to live? And God, I pray that you would prompt each one of our hearts to know what that means this week, to take a step towards experiencing discipleship. We thank you, Father. And I ask for anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you through the finished work of Jesus Christ, that you would draw them to yourself even right now. Point out their need. Point out that their work and their grace and their love and their doing will never be enough, but Jesus, yours is. And I pray that you would call them to yourself. We ask these things in the name that's like nobody else's. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Amen.